1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. This is a mystery. Verse 13. For we were all baptized. Everybody say baptized. By one spirit. That spirit that baptized us into the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. Let me make sure you understand what he's saying. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit of God took your human spirit and baptized it. Now, that word conjures so many religious images when we say baptism. Let's just look at the definition. What's the definition of baptism? It's to be submerged into or submerged under. So at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit took your human spirit and submerged you down into the body of Jesus Christ. That is, in fact, why you are legally saved from God's perspective. With all of the sins you've committed, with all of the darkness that was on your soul, it doesn't matter if you sinned a little bit or if you sinned a lot. When you got plunged into the body of Jesus Christ spiritually, you got plunged into the body of the one that was crucified, suffered, and died for you. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid in his body the full penalty of sin for all those that believe in him, have faith in him, and would become a part of his body. So when the enemy tries to bring condemnation to you, one of the reasons I'm teaching this, this message will destroy condemnation. When the enemy tries to bring up your sin and your weaknesses and all the reasons why you shouldn't have the favor of God, you need to respond back and say, I'm in the body of the one that suffered for me. I'm in the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus was beaten. He was nailed to a cross. A spear was thrust in his side. He hung his head and died. Jesus did all that for me, and he paid the penalty in his body. I'm part of his body, therefore I am saved. Don't care what you've done, where you've been, who you did it with. You are saved if you are a part of the body because the body of Jesus was the body that suffered. Glory to God. The body of Jesus was the body that was beaten at the whipping post. Glory to God. The body of Jesus was the body that God the Father enacted judgment for all of our sins upon. And then the Holy Spirit took your guilty human spirit with all your sins, past, present, and future, and he put that spirit down into the body of Christ. And then Ephesians 2 says that when he rose again, that God raised us up to sit in heavenly places in Christ because we are spiritually in the body of Jesus Christ. Look at somebody say, I'm in the body. So that's your position, and you have to know it. This is identity doctrine. Your position is, look at your neighbor and say, your position is. You are in the body of Christ. Now, in Christ becomes a primary theme of Paul's doctrine in the epistles that he wrote. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, look at it with me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. On the screen, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, read it with me. If anyone is in Christ, wake up this morning. If anyone is in Christ, look, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you notice how it said anyone? There is no discrimination. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've been through. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Acts 17, 28, Paul, uh, Luke writes, in him, in him, in Christ, we live, move, and have our being. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Now, it's important to know that that's your position because your conditions in your life will fluctuate, but your position remains fixed in Jesus Christ. In your conditions, you know, sometimes you wake up full of faith. Sometimes you wake up full of fear. You know, sometimes you wake up praising the Lord. Sometimes you wake up cussing. Oh, look at me like that. Okay. Oh, all right. Oh. Sometimes, you know, 
you wake up and you do the right thing. Sometimes you wake up and you're living crazy, you know? Conditions. The conditions go up and down. They fluctuate. But your position remains fixed in the body of Christ. You're fixed in him. That's, that's your position. And it's not like that, you know, God puts you in the body, and then, you know, you do something bad, he takes you out of the body. And then you do something good again, he puts you in the body, and then you do something bad, he takes you back out of the body. That's schizophrenic. We don't serve a schizophrenic God. God knows the end from the beginning. He saw what you were, who you were, what you would do from the end of your life all the way to the beginning. So if he saved you once, oh, hallelujah, he that began a good work in you shall finish it. In other words, God would not have started it with you if he did not have a purpose, a plan, and an intention to finish it with you. You may be backslid, you may be on the wrong road right now, but it does not matter. The devil's plans for you will never supersede God's plans over you your life. If God started it in you, oh, hallelujah. If God started it in you, God will fit. If he started it in your children, they may be in the wrong place. They may not be going right. But if God started something in them, mama and daddy have hope. He would not have started it. Amen. So positionally, you're in the body of Christ. Conditions fluctuate. Best way I can illustrate this in the scripture is the prodigal son. The prodigal son was his father's son when he was at home with the father. But he was still his father's son when he said, give me my inheritance, I'm leaving. And he was still his father's son when he went off to a foreign country. And he was still his father's son when he attached himself to a pagan citizen of that country. And he was still his father's son when he spent all of his inheritance on prostitutes and riotous living. And he was still his father's son when he lost everything he had and he ended up in the hog pen. Now, look at his conditions. His conditions are he's like the swine, living in a hog pen, considering filling his belly with the husks that the hogs were about to eat. That's his condition. But the Bible says he came to himself because he remembered his position. This is why I'm teaching you about the difference between condition and position. If you know your position, no matter how low you go in your conditions, you can always stand back up and come to yourself no matter how bad it gets and say, wait a second, I don't belong to this. I don't belong in this situation. I don't belong in this mud and this mess. I don't belong here I will arise and return to my father that's the mouth of somebody speaking that knows their position I'm in Christ say it with me I'm in Christ say it with me I am the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you believe it so you are positionally in the body of Jesus Christ God has placed us all, regardless of our differences, in one body. That we might collectively form the body of Jesus Christ in the earth. This is the mystery Paul talked about in Corinthians when he said, if the princes, or the principalities, the demonic forces, if the princes of this world would have known what they were doing, they would have never crucified Jesus. Why did he say that? Because they wanted to crucify Jesus to get him out of the earth. They wanted to get his miracles out of the earth. They wanted to get his messages out of the earth, his word out of the earth. They wanted to get the, the way he made people feel and the way he taught people about God's value for them. They wanted to get all that out of the earth. So they crucified Jesus. But what they didn't know is by crucifying him, by crucifying him they made a way for God's spirit to take every single person that believed the gospel and baptize them into his body and then fill them with his spirit. So now instead of one Jesus Christ walking the earth, you got multiplied billions of believers all over the earth that have the same spirit within them that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And not only is his spirit in them, they are in him. Body of Christ. 
And just like a body, a natural body has many members. You know, I have lungs, I have heart, kidneys, bones, ligaments, all that. They're all very different, yet they're working together for the same purpose, which is health and functionality in my body. And the church was designed by God to be a corporate body of believers coming together. Corporate, wholeness. A corporate body of believers coming together. <laughs> now, the problem with that is, is many people come to church that have never worked well with others. They're saved. Their spirit is reborn, but their mind has not been renewed. So they don't come to see how they can fit in the body. They come to see how the body can fit them. Not realizing that you must sacrifice personal agendas before you can be corporately used. I'm going to say that again. You must sacrifice personal agendas before you can be corporately used. It's, it's like a uh, house that's built with stone walls. When all the stones arrive during construction, they're all kind of different shapes. They're all kind of different sizes, have jagged edges. And the mason must cut them and file them, removing the jagged edges and broken pieces so that they can fit together to form a wall. And what I sense in my spirit about this church is that God has been cutting off some rough edges from us, filing us, processing us, and shaping us so that we can fit together into a wall of corporate ministry. Now, the stone wall is strong because of the unity of the stones. So people who refuse unity cannot be used. People who refuse unity are dysfunctional because they can't function within a team. They can't be one part of a body that has many parts. They got to be the whole thing. It's somebody that comes and says, I don't want to just be included. I want it all to be about me. Personalities that refuse to change will break down any institution they're a part of. I'm going to say it again. Personalities that refuse to change will break down any institution they are a part of. Whether you're talking about marriage, business, or church. Personalities that refuse to change will break down any institution they're a part of. You know, we see today in, mar in marriage, it's over like 51% now of marriages that are ending in divorce. And uh, it's really amazing to me, everybody that got married that ended up getting divorced, you know, you liked each other at some point. I mean, unless it was an arranged marriage, I mean, you, you liked them at some point, right? In the dating phase, staying up all night on the phone, listening to each other breathe. <laughs> Falling asleep on the phone. Waking up, you still there? <laughs> Couldn't get enough. But now, you know, you get married and you find out he leaves his dirty underwear laying on the floor and doesn't help with the dishes, won't take out the trash. And you find out she can't balance a checkbook and, and, and she buys things without communicating and the debt's piling up and, and y'all can't talk about anything without it becoming a fight. You were doing real good till you had to be a team. All of a sudden, when you had to be a team, when you both had to allow yourself to be cut, when you both had to allow yourself to have the jagged edges removed so that you can fit together within the construct of a unit, within the construct of a family, now nobody wants to do it because I like my jagged edges. Whether it's a family, a business, or a church. We must be willing to be interconnected. What's that mean? Fit together. That means you have to be willing to give up something 
for a greater cause. You got to be willing to give up some past behaviors in a marriage for a greater cause. You got to be willing to change some things about who you are. All these dumb relationship books don't change who you are for anybody. Hogwash, you ain't going to be married. Don't change anything about who you are. What dumb person is teaching us not to evolve and not to make changes and not to mature and not to get better and not to put childish things away? Are you the sum total right now of everything you ever want to be? I'm not. Embrace changes. So when God saves you, if he's really saved you, he puts you on the potter's wheel and begins to mold you and shape you and remove jagged edges and remove the inconsistencies so that you can fit within the construct of the destiny he has prepared for you. And I want to tell you, in case nobody have it, the, the church is a part of your destiny. I ain't never heard that before in church. Look at your neighbor and say, the church is part of your destiny. Why? Now, think about this. Why? Why is the church part of your destiny? Because theologically, biblically, you are a part of the church. Interwoven, intertwined together. The church is not something you just attend. I just, I'll just read the monitor. The, the church is not something you just attend. It's something you connect to and become a part. Thank you, Lionel. I know it's good. Now, because the church is not the building, it's the people. We are meant to be the living embodiment, the body of Christ, everywhere we go. And that means you don't come to church to be the church. Ooh, you have to leave the church and go out into the world to be the church. I mean, folks, you know, you ain't going to get much work done trying to witness to people in here. I done hit just about everybody that's in here unless it's your first time. You know, you're not going to have a whole lot of evangelistic work to do. You know, you're not going to have a whole lot of things. We don't come here to be the church. You come to church so that you might refuel. Sometimes that's why our services aren't more powerful is I'm preaching to people with full tanks. Oh, look at me. I ain't going to stop now. I feel good. Sometimes you don't feel the draw and just the pull of the anointing because the anointing only comes when it's needed. It's all right. It's going to get worse before it gets better. The anointing comes when it is needed. Now, if you're not leaving this place Sunday after church and going out and actively being the church, then when you come back in here, you ain't spent no gas. Right? Sometimes God can't fill us because we're not empty. Sitting there with a five-year stale tank of gas. Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love you and that you don't have grace. It just means that you're not expending the energy of being what you are. And if you find it so incredibly difficult to be what you are, maybe you weren't it in the first place. A dog doesn't bark to try to be a dog. Dog barks because he is. And what we do should be an organic, natural outgrowth of what we are. 
So we come to church, not to be the church, we come to church to refuel, get inspiration, get training, and get empowerment so that we can go back into the world and be the body of Christ. So connection is important. Now, back to Ezekiel chapter 37. And look at, look at verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit. Now, first of all, we're talking about Ezekiel. This was a thousand years or so before Christ. A thousand years B.C. And I uh, could be a little more, but around that. And it says, the spirit of the Lord, and the, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. I want you to understand this when you're reading your Bible. The same Holy Spirit that took your human spirit and put you in the body of Christ, it's that same Holy Spirit that we're reading about in Ezekiel. I just want you to have that. The same Holy Spirit that indwells you is the same Holy Spirit that indwelled the Apostle Paul. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same body of Jesus Christ. He brought me into the middle of a valley. It was full of bones, led me back and forth. I saw a great many bones on the floor. They were very dry, and he asked me, can these live again? I'll state again for you, this is a prophetic picture of God's people. They were intended to be an army, but they were disconnected, scattered, and dry. I think that so appropriately describes much of the church in America today. It's not the case in this church, but if you look at the Pew Survey and you look at several other websites that track uh, church statistics, Sunday morning is still one of the most segregated times in our country where people go to gather with their own culture, their own race, and you don't see a lot of diversity when it comes to churches. You see a lot of people that are scattered and then disconnected. If churches in America, and by churches I don't mean buildings, I mean the people, if we ever truly got together and in unity, there's nothing in this world we could not accomplish. Nothing in this world we cannot accomplish. But, but, we're disconnected. And then number three, scattered. And when a church is scattered, its gifts are scattered. You know, so you got a, a few gifts over here on this side of the city, and then you got a few gifts over here on that side of the city. And once in a while, you know, in a storefront, you, you may find just an incredible rare gem of a gift, and, and they've been scattered. And just all over the different parts of the, of the area, there's just, we're just scattered. And Ezekiel sees that. And God asks Ezekiel, can these bones ever become an army again? And Ezekiel looks up to God, and he says, you're the only one that knows that. And I wanted to share with you on the, on the point about being disconnected. When anything is disconnected or disjointed, it causes a lot of pain. And it robs you of focus. I was, uh, I was, I listened to a Bible app trying to, Scripture memorization is one of my hobbies, and, and I was listening to a Bible app while I was at the gym, and I was trying to focus, and I knocked my shoulder out of joint lifting weights. Oh, when something's out of joint, disconnected, there's a tremendous amount of pain. And not only is there great pain, but all of your focus goes to the issue. So you got two things going. Now you got lack of focus on anything else, and now you've got the pain of being disconnected. When something's out of place, you, you focus on it. 
And the reason so many Christians are struggling with weaknesses in their lives, issues in their lives that they can't get the victory over, the reason so many Christians, you love Jesus, you love the Word, you enjoy coming to church, but there's just these cyclical patterns and weaknesses and issues you cannot seem to get over. The reason for that is you're not connected right. You've not plugged into your real identity and what you really are. You're not connected to the right joint in the body. Because when you get connected, the pain is eased. When the pain is eased, now you're free to focus. And when you're free to focus, you can see the purpose for the connection that you've made. When you see purpose, purpose begins to draw you like a magnet. Now you're not focused on your issues and your weaknesses. You're focused on your purpose. But until you know your purpose and your place in the body of Christ, I'm going to say it on this side. Until you know your purpose and your place in the body of Jesus Christ, you will continue to walk in cyclical habits and patterns because you're void of purpose. And you're void of purpose because you don't have the right connection. Amen. Amen. Verse 4, he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Notice the mechanism that God uses to bring them back into order. He uses prophecy. He uses opening up your mouth and preaching to it. You may not realize why I'm doing this series. There's a lot of other material that make you a whole lot happier. But I'm speaking till disconnected things become connected. I'm speaking until dry bones receive skin, sinew, flesh, have breath entered into them. Because I believe God has something great for this people. I believe God has destined us for more than we see right now. And I believe that every single one of you sitting in this building is a part of it. So I'm preaching to it. I'm preaching to it. Amen. I'm preaching to it. I feel somebody getting connected as I'm preaching. I feel somebody making the connection while I am preaching. You are the body of Christ. You have more power than you realize. You will never be dominated by a demon spirit. When you understand what it is that you are, you will never be dominated by spirits in your neighborhood. When you understand that when you drive down the street, the body of Christ is driving down with you. It's our time to stand up, get connected, and take dominion as the body of Jesus Christ in the earth. He said, preach to them. Tell them to hear the word of the Lord. So he says in verse 7, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise. Look at this. A noise, a coming together. Uh, the King James says coming together. This one says a rattling sound. I like that. A rattling sound. A coming together. When things come together, it makes a rattling sound. There was a noise, there was a coming together, and it happened bone to bone. Bone to bone. In the old King James, it says bone to their bone or bone to his bone, meaning the, the foot bone didn't come and connect with the shoulder bone. What's wrong with some of our churches, Lord Jesus, but I'll skip right over that. It went to the bone it was designed to be connected to. See, you can't just plug in and connect anywhere you think you fit. You have to plug in and connect in the place that you were designed to connect. And God don't really care about your opinion. You were designed by a master architect who made you a unique piece and gave you a part to play in his body. But you can only play that part effectively when you connect where you were designed to connect. Everybody wasn't called to sing on the stage. In a microphone. Sit there and look at me, wannabe singers. Amen. Everybody wasn't called to do it. I don't care what you say. Everybody wasn't called to preach. This service would be mighty painful if, well. You got to connect to your bone. So look at number one, a noise. Ezekiel 37 is a prophetic picture of what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. There were 120 different, separate, 
disconnected, disjointed individuals. But they gathered in unity seeking the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit began to fall on them, the Scripture says in Acts chapter 2, they heard a noise. They heard a sound like a rushing mighty wind. And that one Spirit connected those, all those 120 believers to the body of Christ, and then that one Spirit filled them all. I have a point here I want to share with you. I was going to skip it, but I have time. Add some noise to your Christian life. Oh, I like that. I like that. I like that. We got way too many silent Christians. And I'm not just talking about silent in church. Some of y'all are pretty good about shouting in church. You got to add some noise to your Christian life. Does anybody at your job know you're a believer? Amen. You better make some noise. Does anybody in your family know you're a believer? You better make some noise. You ain't a politician. You don't have to walk on eggshells and walk around issues. Don't be afraid to stand up and say what you believe. If you believe in Jesus in your life, you ought to make some noise about it. Add some noise to your Christian life. Pray. When you pray, pray out loud. None of this praying to yourself. Jesus said, when you pray, say. Praying is saying. There's something spiritual that happens when you begin to speak your prayers to your God out of your mouth. The vapor of your words, the scripture says in prayer, attracts the presence of God. You want to get the presence of your God in a hot place? Then start praying. Number two, praise. Every believer should be passionate about praise because no matter what you're going through, God is still worthy of the praise. The psalmist said, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the commentary said, when I feel like it and when I do not feel like it. In other words, when the sun's rising in my life or when it's getting dark in my life, I'll praise the same way. Because no matter what I'm dealing with or facing, you are the same God. And you're good even if I'm not. You're worthy even if I'm not happy. You're holy even if I'm not having a good day. Praise is a part of the life of a believer. And then number three, prophetic declarations. Now, you are not anointed to come prophesy to me. I have a God-established prophet in my life. And it ain't you. He's not here this morning. I have several. I have my father. I have a couple others I won't name by name. So, you are not anointed to prophesy unless that specific office has been given to you Amen. anointed to prophesy over other people. Amen. But everybody is anointed to prophesy over themselves. Oh, hallelujah. And over their family. I mean, some of you need a prophetic revival in your household. You need to lay your hands on your own kid's head and say, in the name of Jesus, I don't care what they said at that school. I don't care what your friends say. I don't care what the doctors say. We're in the body of Christ, and this household shall be blessed and begin to speak over their lives. Make prophetic declarations. Look at somebody dead in the eye and say, make prophetic declarations. Listen, I challenge you. Make prophetic declarations. Make declarations about your job. There ain't no faith on this point. I'm going to preach anyway. Make prophetic declarations about your marriage. Make prophetic declarations about your relationship. You've talked enough negative in them. Make prophetic declarations. Let's start. I am blessed. My household is blessed. My family is blessed. My children are healed. Ooh, yeah. Spirit, soul, and body. My children are blessed. My children will inherit the land. My children will know God. God will know my children. All debt 
is decreasing. Yeah, in my life. All debt is decreasing in my life. And God's prosperity. Oh, I wish I could get 20 people to help me. God's prosperity is increasing in my life. In the name of Jesus, I am blessed. Prophetic declarations. Why is all this noise important? Because silence is the language of the defeated. Oh, there ain't nothing you can do to stop me, devil. I'm going to preach this thing. I said silence is the language of the defeated. Shouting is the language of the victorious. Now, you ain't even got to be spiritual to understand that. When a fan base is watching their team and they score a point, everybody in the stadium makes a whole lot of noise. Why? Because of the victory of what they are a part of. Folks, you are a part of the body of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the champion of champions, who is undefeated. He's never lost a battle. That means you are a part of, not a fan base, you are a part of the most victorious entity that the earth has ever known. That's why you ought never be silent when it comes to God. Silence is the language of the defeated, but shouting is the language of the victorious. Singing is the language of the hopeful. You don't even have to be spiritual. When you first met your spouse and you fell in love and, and you, you were really excited about it and you started thinking about the future and you had hope for it, didn't you sing? What'd you sing, Lee? What song? Do you remember? Brian McKnight. Amen. Amen. No, don't start playing Brian McKnight. I'll lose it. All right. Singing is the language of the hopeful. Well, folks, our hope is, what, what's hope? How we expect things to turn out. How we expect things to end. The good that we're wanting and wishing for. That's hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Our hope's been set. That means we always ought to have a reason to sing. David said, I'll sing your songs at midnight in my life. I'll sing songs of your deliverance when I am surrounded by ten thousands of ten thousands. Because no matter what I am up against, all I have to do is think about you, and I'm filled. I'm, that's what hopeful is, hope filled. Singing is the language of the hopeful. Clapping is the language of agreement. Yeah. 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 Clapping sends a message. Now listen. Clapping in response to the doctrine of the Lord's word or clapping in response to the Lord's praises or clapping in response to a moment in the Lord's presence sends a spiritual message. Here's why. Satan, he is in this earth. His demons are in this earth. But demons are disembodied spirits. In other words, they don't have a body. They don't have skin. Right? You are the embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ. So though he is in heaven seated at the right hand of the Father, his body is on earth still because of you. And you got skin. You hear me? Now listen. The enemy's got Everything you got, 
except skin. He's got a mind. He's got a spirit. No body. No skin. So when you respond to a spiritual influence from God, either through his word, through his praise, in his presence, in his service, and you respond by clapping your hands, you're coming into alignment and agreement with something the enemy cannot hinder. The enemy can hinder your thoughts because he has a mind. The enemy can attack your spirit because he's got a spirit. But the enemy cannot do anything about the skin that you have when you put it together and clap. It sends a direct message to the spirit world. I am in agreement with what God is saying. I am in agreement with what God is doing. I am in agreement with how God's spirit is moving. Amen. I put this last one in here. Jumping is the language of the joyful. David said, you have made my feet like hinds feet. Hinds, they're a deer, right? You ever seen a deer jump over a fence? You have in Texas. You're driving down the Texas road. You see the, the way a deer just glides over that fence. Now, David said that in response to the joy of the Lord. Now, every one of us have had at least one time in our life where we got some news. We didn't even have to be spiritual news. We just got some news, and it was so exciting that the only thing you could do to express the excitement was start jumping. Jumping is the latest. Listen, this is nonverbal, but it is communication, right? Nonverbal communication. Jumping is the language of the joyful. Now, we can start giving God a praise right now, and it'd be real good. I'm going to finish my message. So he said a noise, right? We talked about that. Then he said a coming together, point number two, coming together. When believers come together, our spiritual power increases exponentially. I'm going to say it again because you were still getting seated and settled and all that. When believers come together, our spiritual power increases exponentially. Look at Leviticus 26, 2 through 8. Leviticus chapter 26. Uh, next verse. Next verse. Next verse. Next verse. Yeah, next verse. I don't have time. Yeah. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Oh, I love that. Everybody that's got spiritual enemies attacking you, you're not just going to survive. I feel this vein right now. Somebody watching me online, I just feel it. You will not cower, and you will not go into self-defense mode. You will pursue your enemies. They will fall by the sword before you. Next verse. Look at this. Look at this. Next verse. Five of you will chase a hundred. Now watch the exponential increase. And a hundred of you will chase 10,000. Now, listen. This is why I'm, I'm teaching this. Uh, let me say it like this. Everybody in here right now isn't a you. Because if all these hundreds of people was a you, there wouldn't be any place of dominion that we didn't have. We could do anything in the world we set our mind to. Our vision would be completely taken care of. We'd never need to raise an offering. We'd never need to call for volunteers. We would never have a need if we were all truly connected in unity. Right? So the reason you may not see this in your life is you may not be connected to the right you. Okay. But if you ever get the right people together and connected, and it doesn't have to be the right people by, you know, by class or the right people by status. It's the right people that have made the decision to allow themselves to come under the burden of unity 
and come under the burden of connection that have allowed themselves to have God saw off the jagged edges and truly fit in alignment in his body. You get people like that, then he said five of you, and chase a hundred. But you get a hundred of those used together, they can chase 10,000. Now, when he's talking about 10,000 there, he's talking about principalities, powers, demon spirits, the things that we fight as believers in the world, all kind of things. And I want to tell you, if we had 100 people, just 100 people truly linked together, there wouldn't be one demon spirit within 100 miles of this church. I mean, it would literally filter the air around 100 miles of this sanctuary. People would feel it when they would drive up on the property. They'd feel it 20 minutes from the property because of the power. This is what I'm talking about. If we want to get serious about taking dominion, this is how we got to do it. We have to be willing to get connected in the right place, make the necessary sacrifices for unity's sake. And if we do, we become a powerful force in the kingdom of God. Go to uh, Matthew 18. Jesus talked about it too. I don't want to just give you Old Testament for that. Matthew 18. I'm almost done. Give me a few, just give me a few more minutes. Thank you, Dale. I just might. Again, truly, I tell you that now in the Old Testament, we're talking about five. Look what he says here. Again, truly, I tell you that if two. Do you see it yet? No, you don't see it. Two of. If two of you on earth agree about. So either Jesus is lying, which he's not, or we don't know what it means to truly walk in unity. Because that's the word of Jesus. If two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, that means we could come into agreement and ask God to give us this city. That means we could, theoretically, if we could find the right use, we could come into agreement and ask God to move on companies to donate this church property. We could build homes for the homeless and make them not homeless anymore. If we would come into agreement, we could ask big corporations for the wealth of the wicked, and they would give us more than we ever needed to meet our yearly budget. It's happening in certain places around the world. Big oil company just gave the biggest church in Uganda $350 million. Why not here? All we need is a couple of U's. Now, you don't believe it, but I do. I do. I'm looking, for, I'm looking for some yous. If two of you on earth agree about, I don't know that you feel the weight of that verse. If two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Next verse. Next verse. For where two or three. No, I want to see if you see it. I don't know if you see it. I'm tying it up, making it real pretty for you. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Why? Because we're his body. Now, you didn't shout, but that was pretty teaching right there. Look, and, and that's okay. Listen, that's the war we're up against in the American church today. People come to church hurting, and I get that, and desperate, and I get that. And a lot of the pulpits have resulted and resolved to build their church by pouring out the balm of Gilead. And that's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. And it's medicine that you're going to need for the rest of your life unless you ever grow beyond just needing the balm of Gilead 
for your wounds and your emotions when you come to church. There is healing power in God's presence. There is something that will hold you together when you're going through hell in God's presence. But there's a whole lot more than that. And until you move on past that level and begin to understand what you are and the empowerment that God has given you and all that God has called and licensed you to do in the earth, you'll never be able to truly take dominion like he intended for you to. You're called to be more than you think. There's more power in you than you think there is. There's more ability in you than you think that there is. You're, you're, you're so capable of so much more if you truly walk in the understanding of who and what you are. All right, last part. I already talked about bone to his bone. I mentioned the foot. I'm not going to take any time with that. Uh, let, let me go. Let me go to Ephesians 4. Take me to Ephesians 4, 1 through 8. This will be our second to last scripture. Ephesians 4, 1 through 8. Paul writes, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, bring your lifestyle up to match the high calling that you have received. He's not talking about salvation here. He's not saying you're not saved because you're living a bad lifestyle. Don't go into condemnation over that. It's a challenge. He's challenging people that are living beneath their calling to raise the standard of their lifestyle to match the high calling that they have received. Next verse. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I, we could do a message on that. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Next verse. There is one body, glory to God, and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Next verse. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Not three baptisms and not three names either. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Next. Now, those first few verses, those first six verses, he's talking about the commonality we have. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. We've all been put in one body. That's stuff we all have in common. Now he talks about our individual uniquenesses. But to each one of us, look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. In other words, you've been given a special grace. Are you, are you listening to me? Are you playing with your phone? You've been given a special grace. You've been given a special role, a part to play in the body of Jesus Christ. Next verse. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave Gave, come on, more force. Gave gifts to his people. You've been gifted. You've been gifted by God for the purpose of being a part of his body. Go to verse 11. Now, you've been given a gift, and then Christ gave you gifts to help you. Christ himself gave. So these, these, the following they're gifts. In some theological circles, they're known as apostolic gifts. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Any apostle, any prophet, any pastor, any evangelist, any teacher, what they are is a gift Jesus gave you. Now, this understanding is so broken in the church. I, there, there's a, there's a uh, well, anytime you see a pastor walk in with like a 20-person entourage, it just scares me. You know? Any, anytime a pastor has, you know, people fixing him up and getting him dressed and, you, you know, and, and all that, it just, it, it, it bothers me. Uh, the, the, the department here that serves our family is the smallest department in the church. And the reason why, from God's perspective, the pew 
is far more important than the pulpit. God didn't give you to me. God gave me to you. I'm here to serve you. You're not here to serve me. God thought you were so important that he gave my life to you. Like, I don't know if you understand this or not. This is my life. <clears throat> this is all I know how to do. This is all I'm good at, you know. This is my life. And uh, it's not your life. It may be a part of your life, you know, some of you. But, I mean, this is my life. How do I know that? I'll be here next Sunday. <clears throat> now, some of you hadn't decided yet. It depends on, you know, what happens in the week. I don't get that luxury. If I'm alive and, you know, able to stand up and all that, I'm going to be here next Sunday. Why? God, God detailed my life and, and constructed my life and, and gave me this for you. I wonder how important you are that God moved our lives around and God kept us in place for you. I remember... I remember my first job offer outside of this church. The, uh, Pastor Derek's laughing. Don't, don't tell my business, Derek. <coughs> Pastor in Orlando at a huge megachurch. Uh, uh, I said the city, didn't I? <laughs> now I can't tell the story. Uh, <coughs> gave, me, gave me a very generous offer. We'll say it like that. And, um, and I thought about it, and I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. God, God constituted my life and my gift for this place and for this people. And, and, and you mattered so much to him that he wouldn't let me go. <clears throat> I think about, I think about, you know, my mom and dad. If you don't know, you know, my mom and dad, both, they're, they're both the children of business owners. And my dad's father had a successful painting business, and my mom's parents had a successful construction home building business. They had like 10 or 12 homes up for sale at one time, and they were... Um, they were millionaires. Uh, my mom's parents were multimillionaires. And, um, and my mom, you know, when my mom and dad got married, it's kind of a, a beautiful thing. Uh, you got one family that's, you know, into construction with the wood and the foundation and all that, and then one family member that does all the interior and the sheetrock and the painting. I mean, it's kind of like a beautiful thing. Put them together, you got, you got a, a major model right there. And, uh, and my mom's real good. She just has a, a gift, real good with finance, finances and financial reports and, and business models and all that. And if my mom would have stayed in the family business, uh, th there were some things that my grandparents did some some moves that they made that that ended they ended up going into bankruptcy and they lost their fortune. If my mom would have stayed in the family business, I'd be a trust fund baby today. <laughs> I'd be chilling, you know, <laughs> by some crystal blue water. <laughs> you know, just living good. Heard my dad would have, if, if he would have take taken over his family business, it would just kept going up, up, up. They would have joined those things together. My Lord Jesus. Um, but God didn't let it happen. God didn't let it happen. Why didn't God let it happen? Because he gave them. He gave some. Christ gave some. Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. God rearranged an entire family and a family's fortune so, so that you would have a preacher. 
so that you would have a bishop. So that this place would be here on this side of San Antonio. And so people all over the world, over the last 37 years, have come through here. Now, put up the next verse. Put up the next verse. Why did Jesus give these gifts? To equip his people, not just to bind up their wounds, pray for them and tell them it's going to be okay. Joy comes in the morning. No, it's not just that. To equip his people. Oh, you ain't going to like this. For works. See, if you don't like this, you don't like the church. You don't like the Bible. That, that's what ministry is for. To equip you for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Next verse. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Oh, Jesus. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal and the role of ministry. That's why Jesus has done what he has done. I believe personally that's why God led you to this church. Even if this is your first time here, I believe you're here for a reason. You need to find a place somewhere in this church and connect. You need to find some good people. You need to find some use, some good people in this church and connect. And, and be careful because bad people come to church too. People you don't need to connect with come to church too. You got to use some discernment. But, but there's a place for every single one of you to connect. Many of you have connected with Pastor Jeff and CW Reach. Isn't it a beautiful thing when CW Reach connects and comes together? Do you see what they're able to do? Gave out over a million pounds of food last year in our community because a few yous connected in unity with Pastor Jeff. Look what we were able to do. I'm able to preach right now standing in San Antonio, Texas on the northeast side. And I'm preaching in Uganda, and we got people sending me letters from Uganda because he's running a camera. And I thought that was clapworthy. Amen. Amen. I gotta, I gotta preach at another great church today at two o'clock. I'm driving across town preaching at another big old honking church, and I wouldn't be able to do it. My voice wouldn't be able to do it if I didn't have this microphone, because I'd have to talk real loud in order for you to hear me, and it would strip my voice. But there's somebody up there operating this mic so that I can minister to you. And then I can get in my car and drive across town and minister to another congregation of people and be a blessing to them. It matters what we do in service to our God when we go out and build houses for people. Man, you can't tell me that's not the embodiment of the body of Jesus Christ. Going out and building a house for people when we give blood. When we go out into the community and we witness to people and pray for people. When we do all the things that we do. That's the embodiment. That's outside of here. That's the embodiment of the body of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, there is a place for you to get connected, and I want to challenge you to do it. If you've just been attending, I want, you, I want to encourage you to, to join us for Sea Life next week. They're putting the number on the screen right now. You can text this number. If you'll get here at 9 o'clock, you can go through our new members class. All of the people that want to be a, a member need to go through the class because two can't walk together unless they agree. You need to know our doctrinal stance and what we believe and how we do it. And if we're in agreement, we can move forward and establish a great connection. They're going to put that, that number up there on the screen real soon, I promise you. The Sea Life number they can text. Amen. While they're working on it, there you go. March 1st, March 8th, that's on a, it's on Sundays at 9 a.m., so you're just getting here a little bit early for church, and uh, spend some time with us. You can text that number, 210-570-6643. If you'll text your name and your email, we'll get you signed up and get you some more information. Stand to your feet all over the house. 
I speak to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and I declare that you are becoming what you have been called by God. I speak to the individual gifts on the inside of each of you. When I was talking about gifts, the enemy told some of you, you don't have a gift. That devil is a liar. You have a gift, and God has a place for you as a part of his body. I challenge you in the name of Jesus to connect. I challenge you in the name of Jesus to find a place to serve, get plugged in, and be a part of it. I speak to all of the wounds in the house. I speak to all the people hurting in the house. May the hope of your God fill your heart with a song. May the hope of all he did for you when he saved you and when he called you and gave you a destiny, may that hope fill your heart with the knowledge that whatever you're going through, it's not over, it's not ended. If God is in it, then he can do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over every single one of you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. I speak blessing over your life in the name of Jesus that your house would be blessed, your families would be blessed, your children would be blessed, that everything you put your hand to would be blessed in the name of Jesus Christ. I call you to rise. I call you to stand up and be who God called you to be and be what you are the body of Jesus in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a great hand praise in the house. Amen.